Come on, hold your Bible. Lift it up real high if you're reading from your cell phone. Lift it up. iPhone's a little higher <laughs> than Samsung's. This is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's Word. And my life will never be the same. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Quickly, I want to welcome Rachel uh, Lally. Uh, she's a good friend of ours, all the way from New Jersey, uh, the Ethnos Church in New Brunswick. She is the worship director there, and uh, she is just an extremely gifted musician, plays guitar, plays drums, plays anything. Amen? So, Rachel, why don't you stand so everybody can see you? Welcome. Welcome. This is home. Amen? First Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 12. Most important thing beyond just celebrating resurrection for a day is to let the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ impact your day-to-day living. Amen? The question I want to, you to ask yourself as you go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is, how does the death, burial, and more so resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ impact my day-to-day living? Okay, here's the question you should ask. If Jesus hadn't died, what would I be doing differently? Amen? In other words, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is not just an event that took place 2,000 years ago. It's supposed to impact how you live your day-to-day living. And the Apostle Paul had the same attitude when he was, you know, talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. And he says, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you, or some among you, that there is no resurrection of the dead? Next verse. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So he is saying... Because Christ died and he rose from the dead, it's evidence enough for you and I to know that there is indeed something called the resurrection of the dead for all of us. Hallelujah. Next verse. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain and your faith is also in vain. Next verse. Yeah, we have found false witnesses of God. So he's saying this one thing Christ defeating death and raising from the dead, if it can be compromised, then everything else that we do, we do it in vain. Amen? And I mean, people will fight, you you know, doctrines around anything else, and I don't really care. But when you start talking about, no, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead... Then I start caring. You know why? Because if, if you can tamper with that doctrine, if you can tamper with that truth, then everything else that we do is in vain. Because everything that we do is founded upon the truth that Jesus was not defeated by death. He rose from the dead. And as we teach today, I'm going to show you what actually transpired during the three days that Christ died. I mean, it's like an action-packed movie. You know, I mean, Jesus, you know, I like the passion of Christ. I really love the movie. And I think, you know, Mel Gibson did an awesome job. But I was sharing with the guys uh, at Life Group on Thursday. And I was saying, man, I feel like he stopped midway. 
You know, he just, talked, he just showed us the pain side of the story, which is true. But it, that is not even close to what actually transpired. The Bible says in Isaiah 52 verse 14, Jesus was so transfigured that he didn't even look like a human being. You know, after having taken all your sin and all your disease and sickness and pain and so on and so forth. But guess what? If he had gone on and showed us that, hey, not only did Christ suffer all this pain, but he also came back victorious. That would have been the complete picture, right? And not only that, to show us the disciples kicking the devil in the backside in the book of Acts. Oh, and to show us you and me living victorious because of the pain that he suffered. That would have been a much more complete picture. Watch what he says. Okay, let's read this. Yeah, we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. Next verse. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Next verse. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Next verse. Then... They also which have fallen asleep in Christ are perished. They're gone for good. Next verse. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are also of all men the most miserable. Give me that verse in the message Bible, please, if you will. Verse 19. If in this life, verse 19, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we are pretty... If all you want is just, you know, Christ, and you don't see beyond the grave, that because Christ was raised from the dead, you and I are also going to live forever with him. If you don't see the complete picture, here is what... The Apostle Paul is saying you will live your life as. Let's go to Romans chapter number 6 verse 16. We all know the story. Adam and Eve, you know, when they sinned in the garden, they were subjected under the authority of Satan. Amen? I said amen. And they lost the keys or authority to Satan. Hallelujah. And that meant the whole race was now under the dominion of Satan. And Adam, when he sinned, he lost three things in the garden. The first thing he lost was authority because he submitted himself to uh, Satan. And the Bible says, to whom you yield yourself as servants are you slaves of. And here's what it says in Romans uh, 6.16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So Adam and, sin, uh, and Eve sinned and put themselves under the authority of Satan. So the first thing they lost was their authority. They gave that authority and dominion to Satan. The second thing they lost was fellowship because they were kicked out of the garden. Amen? And the third thing they lost was provision. Because everything now they needed to supply through the toil of their brows. They needed to work to get provision. But before that, all they needed to do was to stay in the garden, keep it and dress it, and God would supply all their needs. Amen? So this is where the whole story started. And because Adam and Eve sinned, it meant everyone else was now under the authority of Satan. So what Jesus came to do was to redeem or to buy us back or to bring us back from under the bondage of Satan. 
He came to give you and I freedom from sin, freedom from uh, uh, poverty, freedom from sickness and the curse of the law. So that we could live as free as we can be under Christ. Amen? So what happened? Let's go to Romans chapter number 5 from verse 12 to 21. What did Jesus do? How many of you want to know? What did Jesus do for me? I want to know. Romans 5 verse 12. Watch what it says. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. One man. Sin entered into the world. And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. How many? The reason why all have sinned was not because of your individual sins. It was because of what Adam did. He put the whole race under the dominion of sin. By, be, by obeying Satan. Or becoming a servant of Satan. Next verse. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin was not imputed or is not imputed when there is no law. Next verse. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Next verse. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So you, you, you became a, a sinner by association, and you are also going to become righteous by association. Do you follow that? That's what he's saying. He's saying the reason you became a sinner was because of what Adam did. It was not because of what you did. And he's saying that's the same reason you are going to become the righteousness of God. It's not because of what you do. It's because of what somebody else did. And who might be that somebody? Jesus. Amen? Next verse. Verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. It gets better. Next verse. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift. Someone say gift. gift. Say it again. Righteousness is a gift that must be received. Righteousness is not earned. It's not a reward. And I grew up in a church where they said, you know, if you want to be righteous, stop wearing makeup, wear a dress that touches your ankles, earn your righteousness. In other words, that's what they were saying. Apparently, they hadn't read this scripture, which says righteousness is a gift. How many of you have ever earned your birthday gift? You work so hard to earn your... No, you don't, right? All you have to do is to turn something and expect something. I'm turning something, so I expect you to do something. And it's the same thing when you repent or when you turn to Christ. The gift that you receive is the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. Amen? Shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Just like sin reigned because of what Adam did. You follow? Next verse. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon how many? All All men to condemnation. Who might be the one that offended God? Adam. You remember the story? And because of Adam's offense, death 
judgment came upon all men. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon how many? All men. Everybody that can accept this gift will become righteous. All you have to do is to put your trust in what Jesus Christ came and gave. And then when you do that, you are brought to justification or you become righteous. Hallelujah. Next verse. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made what? Notice it didn't say by how you live. It says by the obedience of one. See, when uh, ultimately we get to heaven and, you know, God is going to send people to hell. You all know the story. Uh, uh, the only reason why God is going to send people to hell is if they have not put their trust in the finished work of the cross. Not because of how they lived individually. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody is a sinner. And if you don't believe it, go and read Jesus' uh, a standard for sin. He says, if you just look lustfully, you've already committed. He says, if you look hatefully, you've already killed. That's his standard. And no one can meet that standard. So what do we do? We let Christ meet the standard for us, and we put our trust in the met standard. The only reason... Why people go to hell if it is if they have not put their trust in the finished work of the cross. What happened on the cross? That's what I'm about to show you. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 verse 21. What happened at the cross and during the seven days? The first thing I want you to write down is that when Christ was crucified, there was a divine exchange. Someone say divine exchange. He took something that belonged to you that was worthless and gave you something that belonged to him that had value. Second Corinthians chapter number 5 verse 21. And all you have to do is to show up to his store and say, I accept this deal. All you have to do is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you accept this deal. Doesn't it look like a good deal? It does, right? You don't have to do anything. You don't have to die too. You know, I grew up in a church where they used to say, man, because Christ died on the cross and he suffered so much, you must also die and suffer something. Amen? So that you, you, you show him that you are genuinely sorry for what you went through. Now, I'm glad you went through what you went through. Amen? Where did I tell you to go? Second Corinthians 5, 21. Watch what it says. For he hath made him to be sin for us. For who? Jesus was made to be seen for us who knew no sin. Jesus did not know any sin. He is the epitome of holiness. But he was made to be seen. You can put an SO between that word sin and that. So that we might be made the what? In him. Do you see that? So the first divine exchange that took place was Christ took your sin. And you can exchange your sin for his righteousness by putting your trust in the finished work of the cross. So you don't have to be a sinner anymore. Someone shout, I am the righteousness of God, I am the righteousness of God. in Christ. In Christ. Not, because of what I do, Not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Therefore, Therefore 
I can boldly say that I am the righteousness of God. Based on what Jesus Christ did, you know what you can do? The Bible says you can enter into the throne room of grace. Watch this. Boldly. To obtain help in times of need. Not because of what you did. See, in the Old Testament, they could not go into the Holy of Holies. They could not go into the presence of God. Tainted. Man, if you dropped a sweat in the presence of God, the presence of God would smite you dead. If you had a pimple, just check your skin. If you had a pimple, if you had a pimple on your face, the presence of man, if you wanted to go into the presence of God, you had to be perfect. You yourself. And so when the priest would go into the presence of God, man, they would be full of fear, just frightful and just scared. And in fact, they would tie a rope on their legs because most of them would not make it out. Go into the presence of God, any kind of way, bam! You get smitten, you're dead, and people have to pull you out. But over here, in the New Testament, there was a divine exchange on the cross. You took your sin, gave it to Christ. Christ gave you his righteousness. Now you can go in boldly into the throne room of grace to obtain help. You can walk right into the Holy of Holies and obtain help in times of need without hesitation. Because there was a divine exchange. Second Corinthians chapter number 8 verse 9. So sin was dealt with. Tell your neighbor sin is no longer an issue. Thank you Jesus. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9. The second divine exchange that took place was that Christ took your poverty. Watch what it says. For we know. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what? I didn't hear that. Jesus Christ was what? He was what? Did you see it? Jesus Christ was rich. I used to think, man, Jesus and the 12 disciples were just a bunch of delirics, you know, just walking around doing nothing because they were broke and they were men of no means. Not according to scripture. Jesus Christ was rich. And if you don't believe it, try looking after 12 grown men for about three and a half years. With your broke self, right? (laughs) It's not going to happen. If you're going to look after 12 grown men for three and a half years, you have to be a man of means. And Jesus Christ was rich. He was a wealthy man. And here is what he says. On the cross, there was a divine exchange. Though Jesus Christ... Was rich, yet for your sake. Whose sake? My sake. sake. Someone personalize it and say, for me. me. Jesus would have still done it if you were the only person in the universe. Yet for your sake. For your sake. Not for the bishop's sake. Not for the apostle's sake. Not for the right reverend's sake. For your sake. You. For your sake. He became poor. You can put an S-O again between the word poor and that. It it stands out for you. So that you, through his poverty, might become what? So there was a second divine exchange. Not only did he take your sin, he also took your poverty. And say, hey, I've taken your poverty so that you might. That word might, M-I-G-H-T, makes it a possibility. 
He says, I took this thing so that you might, so that you can have an opportunity. You know what? Because Jesus understood fully well that there are some people who don't want to be rich. So he didn't force it on anyone. He said, okay, there's a divine exchange for those who want it. You can become it. Because there's some people who don't like, you know, because then if I become rich, you know, everyone is going to come to me with their problems. Or if I become rich, I don't know if my friends are, are, are really real or they're just here for my money. There's some people who just don't, you know, want to be rich because welfare is good, right? You know, I can go and queue up every month and get money for free. So Jesus was like, okay, we won't force it on anybody. We did this so that they that want might become rich. And here is the deal. If you also suffer the very thing that Jesus Christ has already suffered, in the law it's called double jeopardy. You are paying for the same sin twice. Or you are serving the same sentence twice. Your sentence has already been served. Your sentence for poverty, for sin and death, it's already been served. And if you partake in it, you're suffering for it. It's double jeopardy. It's not even a lawful thing to do. Hallelujah. So someone shout, no more poverty because of the divine exchange. Galatians chapter number 3, verse 13. I'm rushing because we have communion today. Galatians 3, verse 13 to 14. Galatians 3, better known as 3rd, verse 13 to 14. Watch what it says. It says, Christ hath redeemed us. This is the third divine exchange. Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a what? A curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that what? Hangs on a tree. Everyone that gets on the cross is cursed, right? That's what he's saying. Next verse. So that the blessing of Abraham, again, that word might. Because there's some people who don't want to be blessed. They enjoy going to generational curses seminars and buying generational curses books. But there's some people who want to get into the truth. And those people, he gave them an opportunity to tap into the blessing of Abraham so that they might come. The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the second thing, the third thing he redeemed you from was curses. Jesus Christ, as he was hanging on the cross, literally was made a curse. He became a curse. So that the blessing, the divine exchange may take place. Amen. First Peter chapter number 2. 24. The fourth divine exchange was he became sick so that you could live in divine health. First Peter chapter number 2 verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree or on the cross that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. As Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, according to the Roman law, he was beaten with the stripes, 39 stripes. Which represents 39 branches of uh, sickness, apparently in the world. The doctors here can correct me if I'm wrong. 39. And when he received 39, 
it was so that you might have divine health. Again, he doesn't force it on anybody. Those that put their faith in his finished work will tap into divine health. Amen? Now, what happened at the cross? Let's go to uh, Isaiah chapter number 52, verse 14 in the Message Bible. So as Jesus was hanging on the cross, you know the story, uh, uh, in the third hour or in the third watch, which is about 3 p.m., the Bible says there was darkness throughout the whole earth. Complete darkness. As even the, 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 the natural earth elements responded to this transaction, this divine exchange taking place. Literally, sin went into his own body. Literally, sickness went into his own body. The curses went into his own body. All the pain that would ever suffer went into his own body spiritually to the point that this is what happened. But he didn't begin that way. At first, everyone was appalled. He didn't even look human. A ruined face, disfigured, past recognition. You could look at the man Christ and not recognize him as a human being when he was hanging on the cross for that particular hour. And as he was filled with all sin, how many of you know that Jesus Christ paid for your sin, past, present, and future? It's a done deal. He dealt with it at the cross. As his body was filled with all sin, all sickness, and all death, it was disfigured beyond recognition. And not only that, it says he cried. He looked unto the heavens and cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as he was looking unto uh, heaven, he, he referred to God as God. All of his ministry, his earthly ministry, he had referred God as Father. But at this point, there was a disconnect. Because God cannot fellowship with sin. But Jesus Christ had to uh, take all the sin of the world and go and present his body in the, heavenly, in the heavenlies as a sacrifice. And God was going to inspect that sacrifice to see if it was perfect. And God did inspect the sacrifice and saw that the sacrifice was perfect. And immediately, Christ looked unto the heavens and said, Father, the minute God accepted the sacrifice, still hanging at the cross, he looked unto the heavens and said, My Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The minute that God accepted the sacrifice as perfect and light came back on the earth and the veil was torn in half. The veil that protected the presence of God in the temple. 30 centimeters thick. It was torn in half at the same moment. And the presence of God came out. And now God could fellowship with mortal men. At their level. And not only that, fill them up and go wherever they go. There was now a reconnection between God and man because of the work on the cross. Second Corinthians chapter number 5 verse 17. So God's wrath was appeased. God is not mad at you anymore because of what Jesus Christ did. In fact, God doesn't even see you. He sees you through the lens of Christ. And he thinks you're awesome. Amen. You know why? Because Christ is awesome. Amen. So every time he looks at you, he sees Christ. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many times you mess up. He still sees Christ. Because of the finished work of the cross. He took away all condemnation. 
You don't have to walk around feeling guilty. Jesus Christ took away all condemnation. His body was filled with sin, death, condemnation. You name it. Hallelujah. Give it to me in the King James Bible. First. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, old things are become new. A different version of the Bible says, uh, if any man be in Christ... He's a new species of being that never existed before. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. New, new identity. Someone shout new identity. new identity. Man, it's like the cops were looking for you. <laughs> the cops of sin and condemnation and death and poverty. They were looking for you and then you came into Christ and got a new ID. <laughs> They're still looking, but watch this. They can't find you. <laughs> Because the ID says Tavara, but now I have a new ID. That says Tavara in Christ. So they're still trying to figure out where this dude went to. Oh, that dude died. And how many of you know that you can't arrest a dead man? This new one is alive in Christ. And can't be arrested for his past sins. He's a new species of being, watch this, that never existed before. Never committed any crime. Some of you are thinking, but pastor, I did it. That's a dead man who did it. The new man in Christ didn't do it. This is why the apostle Paul would walk around saying, I never wronged any man. What are you talking about, Paul? You used to kill Christians. But he understood that when you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You are a new species of being that never existed before. Someone shout, I never wronged anyone in my life. Thank you, Jesus. I'm a new creature. Thank you, Jesus. Watch what he says in the next verse. Verse 18. Verse 18. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Go back to verse uh, 17. Let's read it in the Message Bible. It's funkier. Okay? Watch what it says. Now we look inside. And what we see is that no, anyone united with the Messiah gets a what? I didn't hear that. All you have to do is to get united with the Messiah. And all you get is a fresh start. He's a created new. The old life is what? A new life. Come on, read that word. <laughs> See why I make you read these words? <laughs> this is why I make you read these words, right? Look at it. Next verse. <laughs> All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and Him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. The only way you can have a good relationship horizontally with your brother is if you understand your relationship with Christ. Amen. Hurt people will hurt people. People that are condemned, people that think God is after them and is going to catch them one day. They are always after other people and they want to catch them. People who know they have been delivered from all sin and they are free in Christ and they know that Christ forgave them 
of all their sin, they are also very forgiving. You know the holier than thou? That's what we call them in the church. People that think they are more holier than other people. They are the biggest sinners. The only difference is they sin in secret. So as long as you don't catch them, they feel like, okay, I haven't done anything. But they're sinning in their minds, they're sinning in their heart. To, according to Jesus' standard, man, if you just think it, you're already it. But people who understand, hey man, I was dead, I was a sinner, and God forgave me. People that understand the grace of God also extend grace to others. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Is this good? So this was the first part. What did Jesus do? Jesus went and presented his body as a sacrifice to God and it was accepted as a payment for our sin. And we were redeemed from number one, death. Someone shout, I'm redeemed redeemed. from all death. From all all premature death. death. Someone shout, I am redeemed redeemed. from the curse of the law. law. Someone shout, I am redeemed redeemed. from all sin. sin. Someone shout, I am redeemed from poverty poverty. in Jesus name name. amen Amen. he has redeemed you let's go to Ephesians chapter number 4 so what happened was after God's wrath was appeased that was the end of the redemption of man and the reconciliation of man to God but there was still something else that needed to be taken care of remember in the book of Genesis Satan had taken the keys remember he took the keys from Adam so Jesus needed to dealt with the key issue So the first phase of redemption was to deal with God and appease the wrath of God. The second issue was to get authority from Satan, the authority that Adam had given. Watch what happens. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 8. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up, who, who, who might this be talking about? It's talking about Jesus, right? He's the one who ascended, right? Right? When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. If you're writing down notes, just write that phrase, captivity captive. I'm going to tell you what that is. And gave gifts unto men. Next verse. Now, that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first? So the first thing he did was to descend. And he tells you where he descended to. He descended first into the lower parts of the earth. When Christ died, he went to hell. And Satan was thinking, you know, we finally got him. We killed him. We finished him. And, you know, my wife and I, we always talk about this thing. We have an imaginative mind. And this is what I picture happened. Jesus was, uh, uh, Satan was thinking, man, we've dealt with this dude. We've killed him. The keys are ours forever. If they're sitting in their boardroom and just having a meeting and just laughing about it. Ha, 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 ha. He's dead now. What is he going to do? He's dead. And they're just giving each other, you know, uh, ministerial posts. You are now the uh, permanent, <laughs> permanent secretary of poverty, of, of administering poverty. Yeah. You are now the permanent secretary of administering sickness. Yeah. And they're just sitting and just giving each other ministerial roles. And then, boom, Jesus kicks the door and walks in. And he said, which one of y'all is the devil? (laughs) One-on-one devil. 
And the Bible says they actually edified. Do you know that? Go to Colossians 2, verse 15. We'll come back to Ephesians. Here's what happened when he went to the uh, uh, uttermost parts of the earth. Here's what happened. Give it to me in the NIV. When he went, here's what happened. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, watch this, triumphing over them by the cross. You know what this means? He's using an old uh, illustration of what would happen in the Roman Empire. When they would go and uh, uh, fight a nation and defeat a nation, they would take their king, uh, cut off his thumb, so that he can no longer make any decrees or enforceable decrees. And then they would uh, take off his royal robes and walk him down the streets naked so that everyone knows this dude ain't no king no more. And that's the expression the Apostle Paul is using. He's saying Jesus went into the uttermost parts, disarmed him, and there was a parade to show everyone that this dude can no longer put things on your life, watch this, that are enforceable. The only thing that is enforceable is what you let him put on your life. But if you stand your ground and you say, no more sickness in Jesus' name, he can't enforce it. Because watch this, the dude does not have a thumb anymore to put any royal decrees. He was disarmed. And not only that, he was made to walk the streets naked. Unfortunately, a lot of the people in the church were not at the parade. That's why people are still fearful of the Oh, man, Satan. Oh, man. This pastor said Satan has been doing this in my life. Oh, Satan. You know what Smith Wigglesworth did the one time? He, he was about to sleep, and this was in the days of, you know, candles. And something made a noise on his bed, and he woke up to check what it was, and it was Satan manifesting. A tokolosh. <laughs> and you know what he did? He said, oh, it's just you. And he blew the candle and went back to sleep. Man, if it had happened to a Christian who never went to the parade. Pastor! Pastor, can you give me some water? Can you give me something to spray this thing? I, I need something. What they don't realize is the man does not have any authority that is enforceable. All you have to do is resist him. Or watch this, ignore him. That's right. Amen. When you pay him attention, stroke him. See, Christians, they pay him too much attention. They stroke him, man. Just stroke him backwards. And, ooh, look at what the devil is doing in my life. Man, what about what Jesus is doing in your life? Amen. Amen. Pay attention on that and glorify that. That's right. This dude was defeated. He was made to walk the streets naked. And when Jesus disarmed him, we'll go back to verse uh, 8. Ephesians chapter number 4 verse 8. The Bible says he led captivity captive. That phrase captivity captive is talking about the old saints who had died holy, trusting in the finished work of the cross in installment or in on credit. 
you know, Moses, Jeremiah, and all those guys, when they died, they could not go to heaven because Christ hadn't uh, uh, given his sacrifice to God. So they were kept at a place called Paradiso or Paradise. And when Jesus defeated uh, Satan in the uttermost parts, he came back and laid a parade victory. And he took these cats with him and said, now we can go to heaven. And you know what else happened? As they were coming from the uttermost parts of the earth, the Bible says they spent about 40 days and 40 nights on the earth. They, look, they took a little detour, and dead men of old were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. Just hanging out for 40 days before the ascension. In fact, some of you think I'm just talking. Let's go. <laughs> Let me show it to you. Let's go to the book of Mark. Thank you, Jesus. Mark, Matthew 27 verse 51 to 53. Matthew 27, verse 51 to 53. What time is it? Oh, we're out of time? It's 11.30. We're out of time. Yeah, 10.30. We're out of time. We're out of time. Man. Can I read this? Do I have enough time to read it? Okay, let's read this. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain or in two, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Next verse. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Next verse. And came out of the graves after this resurrection. When Jesus came back on the third day, man, the, the graves were opened. And all the saints of old who had died believing in the coming Christ were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. Just hanging out. Man, just Can you believe it? Just walking. And Ruth going to heaven. On their way to heaven. They were seen just walking in the streets of Jerusalem and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And then Christ on ascension, he was the first fruit. He went in first. And then all of them went into heaven. And you and I don't have to go to a holding place anymore. We can go straight to the throne room of grace. We can go straight into heaven because of the finished work of the cross. Let's go back to Ephesians 4 so we can read all of it and close. Ephesians 4, verse 8. Verse 8. So wherefore, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Now you know what that is, right? He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So as he was going up, Jesus Christ, he left gifts or he dropped gifts for men. And he's going to tell us what those gifts are. Next verse. Next verse. Verse 10. He that ascended is the same also that, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might feel all things. Next verse. And he gave some, these are the gifts that he gave to men. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So these are ministry gifts that Jesus Christ himself gave to the church. So a pastor is a gift from Jesus. An apostle is not a boss. It's a gift. It's a gift. And he tells you why he gave these gifts. Amen? Amen. It came with an instruction manual. Next verse. The reason he gave this gift is for the perfecting or the equipping, not the exploitation. 
Did you see that? He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping. See, if you can't do what I do or understand what I do, I'm not equipping you. The job of a pastor is to make you not need me. A good pastor will consistently and constantly work himself out of a job. What do I mean by that? I mean when your children get sick, you should know what to do. Because that's my job, to equip you to do what I do. For the equipping or the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Next verse. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature. That word perfect does not mean flawless. It means mature. Unto a mature man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Next verse. So that... We, uh, so that henceforth be no more children. Yeah. Yeah. A good ministry gift will give you an opportunity to grow right. and mature. Amen. So that you are no longer a child. Right. If you've been going to church for 30 years and you're still a child, maybe you need to find another church. Because yeah. if it's a true ministry gift from Jesus, it is so that you may no longer be a child. How do you know you are a child? So that you may no more be a child, tossed. Man, if you see, if you see yourself just tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. If you see yourself just going everywhere where there's a new thing, there's this new thing and just tossed to and fro. And here's something else. If you can't commit and be planted. Commitment is a sign of maturity. See, boys don't marry. Boys don't get married. Because they are still children. Still being tossed to and fro by every wind of, uh, of skirt. Man, I'm preaching good. By every wind of doctrine, by the slate man, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to be. Let's and remember these words from Second Corinthians five verse seven. For we walk by faith and not by. We love you. God bless you.